0: Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to Untangling Emotions Part 2. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, sit back, relax, and enjoy. If you guys don't mind standing for just a moment longer, I want to read our opening passage of Scripture we're gonna be hopping all over the book of Ephesians, specifically chapter four today. So I'm gonna start in verse 26. It says this it says, In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not, some will say, do not give the devil a foothold. Skipping ahead to verse 31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I want to call this message today, Diffusing the Bomb." Diffusing the bomb. You guys can take a seat. Come on, let's clap our hands one more time for... Jesus. Is there anyone excited to be in church today? Come on. That's an amazing response. My name is Harrison, and I'm just so glad that you guys could be here this morning. Uh, On behalf of us, our church family, we just want to say happy Thanksgiving to every single person out there today. Uh, We're just thankful for you, and I'm thankful to Jesus that we're able to do this uh, together today. So we are in part two of a series called Untangling Emotions. Can you just make a little bit of noise if you were here last week for part one? So good. Hey listen, if you missed part one, I need you to go online and check it out. Uh, I do not have time to go over it, but what I said last week, I said part one is kind of an overview of this message, and if you do not get that one distinct thing from the first message that I'll talk about in a moment, none of this matters. So. What we said, um, our kind of overarching theme in why we're doing this series, we said it like this. We said, you can't be spiritually healthy while remaining emotionally immature. In other words, you can't be spiritually healthy while remo- remaining emotionally unhealthy. How many guys unhealthy emotionally in the room today? I just wanted to see who was awake and if they'd admit it. Um, but uh, we have uh, kind of a goal uh, of our church, our vision and our, and our, and our, th- and our um, mission statement is that we want to lead people into an authentic relationship with Jesus. Why do we exist in a church? We want to lead people into an authentic relationship with Jesus. Now, here is the truth. Jesus on the cross, God, what he did was he forgave our sins. Salvation, super simple. All you have to do is believe in the name of Jesus, believe that he has died for our sins, paid the price, and you are saved. That's good news. But the heart of Jesus and the heart of God is not just to save us. Because salvation, that's already happened. All we have to do is accept it. But God actually wants something more than for us to just be saved. God wants us to be restored. And God wants our hearts to be healthy and our hearts to be whole. And so what I want to do in this series is, man, I hope some people get saved. I hope if you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, this is the series, this is the month that you actually invite him in because I just think it changes everything. But I also hope that for, for, for some people, maybe you've accepted Jesus a while ago, but your heart still isn't healthy. And so my hope is that over these, this, this series, we get healthy. And so last week, I said we had one big thing I needed us to lean into, I needed us to understand in order for everything in this whole series to go anywhere. You needed to believe that the problem is me. You guys remember that? The problem is me. You are the way you are, not because of anyone else, but the problem is me. You and I are the problem. So uh, again, if you missed it, Go check it out, but I need us to understand that simple concept because it changes everything. So, today, what I want to do last week was broad. I want to go a little bit deeper today. Uh, By our opening passage of scripture, you might have realized I want to talk about the emotion of anger. So, I just want to begin with a little uh, trivia today for our Bible nerds in the audience. If you're not a Bible nerd, you just are here, don't feel bad. But here's my trivia question for you guys today. When it comes to the Bible and the emotion of anger, who do you think in the Bible is most often attributed with the emotion of anger? Any guesses? Samson? Okay. Any other guesses? David? Okay, y'all are wrong. I'm not going to drag it out any longer. The answer to the question is God. God. The person in the Bible that is most attributed with the emotion of anger is God. Now, perhaps it's not a fair fight because unlike Samson and David, God actually shows up in every book of the Bible. However, what I want us to understand, and this is important, is that the emotion of anger is most attributed to God in the Bible. Now, for a lot of us, that can kind of cause us to pause. Because I think when we think of the emotion of anger, for many of us, Number one, it's not something that we'd attribute to God, but number two, a lot of us kind of think that anger is something that is bad. If I were to classify the emotion of anger or getting angry, I would think that getting angry is sinful, getting angry is bad, getting angry is wrong. Now, what I'm going to show us in a second is that none of those things are necessarily always true, but they can be true. But why I want us to understand that God in the Bible is attributed as the one displaying anger the most is because if you do not know that when you open up the bible you're going to be in for a surprise when you see God actually gets angry and the reason this is hard for us is because we have heard that God is love and for a lot of us we think that love and anger are on the opposite ends of the spectrum that is not true now For many of us, maybe it's hard to picture love and anger being hand in hand. Maybe even picturing God as angry is kind of hard for us to understand. And I'm going to be honest. I think even for myself, it was kind of at times hard to understand. That was, though, until um, I had kids of my own. And then I kind of got a picture of what I think God feels and how love and anger are not as separate as they may be. So I I told you guys last week we have three kids. Um, We have twin girls that uh, are turning three in about a month. And um, I'm thankful that they've grown out of this particular stage that I'm going to describe. But there was a stage uh, where they would bite each other. Now, one who will remain anonymous was much worse uh, than the other when it came to the phenomena of biting. Um, but there is a phase where they would bite. And I don't mean like a little nibble. I mean like, like it's a drumstick kind of thing, like, like fully getting in there now. What you need to understand when it comes to my daughters, like I love them more than anything that I can even describe. Like That emotion is there, and that emotion never leaves. But what's tough is that when I experience these moments, specifically when they're hurting each other, I have a whole bunch of things going on inside me. And one of the reasons we called this series Untangling Emotions is because we don't just feel one emotion at a time. There's a whole bunch of different things going on. And so when one of my daughters would get bit... Like, the overarching emotion of love doesn't leave. But there's some other feelings going on. There's pain. There's sadness for the one that is hurt. But for the one that is biting, probably the most dominant emotion going through me is anger. And the reason I'm angry is because someone that I love is hurt. And I think what actually even is more sad is that someone I love is hurting someone I love. And I can still love them and be angry. And so that helps me understand God because the Bible lets us know that God is our father. And if God is our father, that means we're all his children. And so what that means is we as his children, we do far worse things to each other than just biting each other. And so if God is a father who loves us, what that means is that when God witnesses his children in conflict in strife, sometimes even doing worse things, killing each other, what God what must God feel? Well, the answer is pretty simple. It's anger. And the truth is a lot of God's anger is actually rooted and amplified only because he loves us. You see, The opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is apathy. What apathy means is I don't care. And so if God was not loving, God would see the pain that we go through and he would not care. But there are times when people and children that he loves are taken advantage of and so he is rightfully angry. And that's why the Bible describes him as the most angry character that we see. Psalm chapter seven says it like this. It says God is an honest judge He's angry with the wicked, look at this, every day. Why is God, listen, why is God always angry? Because God is always filled with love. And so when things and people that he loves are hurt or taken advantage of, that causes God to be angry. And so I say that to say, when it comes to this emotion, as we begin to untangle, as we begin to go in it, I want you to understand that anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. If we think that the solution to angry is to never get angry, we're not going to go very far because anger is actually an emotion given to us by God to communicate something. And above all, our anger communicates that something is wrong. Something is not as it should be. So the truth is, it'd be pretty cruel of God for God to give us an emotion, such as anger, and say you're never to get angry. So what I want us to understand today when it comes to this emotion is that anger is not an emotion to be avoided, it's an emotion to be managed. I don't think I have a slide for it, so I'm gonna say it again. Anger isn't an emotion to be avoided, anger is an emotion to be managed. Anger isn't a sin but here's the thing because some of y'all are kind of grinning a little bit like, yeah, I'm a mad, mad man. <laughs> anger in and of itself is not a sin, but anger can very easily become a sin. Ephesians 4, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. My issue isn't that I'm angry. It's how I'm managing my anger. You see, The Bible says that our anger, when it is not managed, will lead to sin. Now, there's many definitions I could give you for the word sin, but I'll I'll give you one that I think is apt for today. What is sin in general? I'll say it like this. All sin is inevitably self-destructive. So when I sin, what am I doing? I'm destroying myself. And so anytime we are destroying ourselves, you can probably begin to understand I'm probably caught in some kind of sin. How do I know I'm struggling with sin? I'm destroying myself. And so what that means when it comes to anger, what will anger look like if it's become a sin? My anger is no longer righteous. Listen, if I see something, if I see an injustice, there's there's something inside of me that can have a righteous anger where I know that something is wrong. I know that something isn't as it should be. How do I know I've moved from just righteousness to sinfulness? pretty simple, you'll begin to notice that your anger is destroying you. Now, you may not actually know if your anger is destroying you, which is why I'm so happy that you're in church today, (laughs) because I'm going to help you untangle what's going on inside. So if you guys are with us last week, what we said, when it comes to our emotions, um, us as people, we're generally um, one of two ways. We said there's people that are, uh, that live in a way we called it spit it up, And that person is like, emotions are everything. My emotions are coming out no matter what. That's person number one. Who are those people today that everything just comes out? Anyone here today? Few people honest. Then there's like, then there's the suck it up people. And the suck it up people is like, no matter what happens in my life, like I will not show my emotion. I will not show anything. It's just going to go deep down inside. I said, that's more me. I'm more suck it up. Anyone in the suck it up camp? (laughs) Few people. So when it comes to the emotion of anger, what does it look like dealing with it the wrong way? Because what we said is both suck it up and spit it up, both are wrong. So what does it look like when it comes to anger, when it just comes out? Well, this is pretty simple. This is a person that you do not want to cross. You know this person? You don't want to cross them. You're like, I used to know them, but I crossed them. Um. Because no matter what, their anger is coming out and it's going to be directed somewhere. And the reason it's coming out is because they live with a deep seated de- bl- lie that says, I feel, therefore I must. I feel angry, therefore I must act on however I feel. I said last week that's the number one road to foolishness and hell. I don't know if I said that, but <laughs> same place. And so spit it up means like, man, my anger, whatever happens, I am justified in how I feel, and I will let you know. And the thing about anger um, in in this, this trail of destruction is that anger is the emotion that will most be felt by the people around you. In other words, you can think to yourself, well, my anger is just my anger, and it's just my issue to deal with. But you ask anyone close to you, and they will know wholeheartedly that they have been in the line, the direct line of your fire, And so that's person number one. Number two is the suck it up person. Uh, And this is the person that, like, no matter how angry I feel, it doesn't come up, just goes in, right? Anyone ever seen Frank Costanza in the episode of Seinfeld, Serenity Now? (laughs) Any Seinfeld fans today in the building? But he has a way to deal with his emotions in one episode because he's more of a spit it up. Um, So then he tries to become a suck it up. And he has this thing called serenity now where like whenever he feels angry, he just says serenity now, serenity now. Uh, And it doesn't work. And by the end of it, um, there's a joke that someone says where it's like, well, it's serenity now, insanity later. So what that looks like for the suck it up person is like, I'm just going to push it in and no one's going to see me hurt. And so I've got like peace and serenity and I'm okay. But the truth is it's serenity now, insanity later. Because when it comes to our emotions, as I said, they are given to us by God and they're supposed to communicate something. And so the deeper I put it in, the deeper I try to ignore it, the more I'm ignoring what something or what my emotions are trying to tell me. And so what happens with our emotions is we dig them deeper. They don't go away. This is the thing. They do not go away. They just get deeper. And so what happens is that because they're not actually gone, they're just in there, we begin to live in a way that is not true to our reality. And we actually begin to believe things that simply aren't true. They're just lies that we have embedded inside of ourselves. And so what this looks like is someone hurt me, and now I'm really angry, but I'm never going to talk about it. And so, I never show anyone that I have any issues. I'm cool and I'm calm, but the truth is, I don't trust anyone. The truth is, I never open myself up. I have zero deep friendships. I have zero deep relationships because no one can actually get into my impenetrable force that I've created around myself to protect myself. And so, When it comes to the emotion of anger, what I want us to understand is letting it out, destroying people in your path, that's going to lead to your own destruction. Putting it inwards, it's going to lead to your own destruction. And so there's a third way, which we said is to engage. And that's what I want to do for the rest of this morning is I want to engage the emotion of anger. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? But most importantly, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? You guys ready? So, Ephesians, I told you we're kind of hopping around. So, we're going back to verse 17. This is Paul who wrote this book. Um, kind of the context of where we pick it up, because we're in the middle of Ephesians. Paul has gone to great lengths to describe the grace and the goodness of Jesus and that he's saved us, redeemed us. But where we kind of pick up, it's basically this idea of like, okay, God has saved me. Now what? Now what? This is what he says, he says, I tell you and insist on it in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So Gentiles, I could take a long time describing it, but I'll keep it real short. What Paul is basically saying is this, when you come to Jesus, you no longer live like you used to. I love this word. He says, you don't live like you used to, like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You wanna know what futility means? It means their thinking, how they act, how you used to do things, how you did things back in the day, how you think, well, this is how my family does things. He says all of that is a dead end. It's not gonna lead you anywhere. When you come to Jesus, I want us to understand this, there is a distinct before and after. There's a way I dealt with my life before Jesus, and there's a way I deal with my life after Jesus. Listen, before Jesus, I was a brawler. Before Jesus, you don't cross me or I'm going to punch you in the face. You're a fool. But after Jesus, I don't, I don't live like I used to. Now, I want us to understand this because a lot of times we take that just to behavior. Right, like before Jesus I punched, or before Jesus I would just get drunk, or before Jesus I just had sex with whoever I want. Like we we, we boil it down to behavior a lot of times. This is what I did before Jesus. But what I want us to understand is that where God wants to go when it comes to the before and afters is, is God doesn't want to really change our behavior as much as he wants to transform our heart. And so if I come to Jesus and I just make a whole list of things that I'm no longer going to do. That's called behavior modification, and I want you to understand behavior modification is not lasting that long, because behavior modification without heart transformation is really just white, just like clenching my fists and hoping nothing happens. Like I'm just I'm gonna change, I'm gonna change, I'm gonna change. What God wants to do is God wants to get to the root, and that's to change our heart, because heart transformation is long lasting and heart transformation will lead to behavior modification but if my heart isn't transformed just my behavior it won't last very long does that make sense and so when jesus comes into my life i need him to begin to change my heart ephesians 4:22 he says you were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires that, that word deceitful desires, we saw that last week in James chapter 4. But he says, when you come to Jesus, you put off your old self. I want you to understand this. This is, this is so big. Before Jesus, how you were was deceived and corrupt. Deceived and corrupt. You're like, no, Harrison, I'm like, I'm really smart. No, you were deceived. And above all, your heart was corrupt. What does that mean? It means my heart lies to me. I want you to understand this. Without Jesus, my emotions lie to me. Without Jesus, and this is the biblical word, I live in what is called the flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh just gets what it wants. It's the version of me that is unhinged, uncontrolled, has no restraint. Paul says before Jesus... You lived in the flesh, being corrupted by your deceitful desires. He says, but now, because we put off our old self, he says in verse 23, we're now being made new in the attitude of our minds. We now put on the new self to be created like God in righteousness and holiness. So we're diving in on anger today. And so what this really means is when it comes to this emotion of anger, there's two things I can do. I can live my way or I can live his way. And what we shared off the start was that there's actually a way that I can be angry and not sin. There's actually a way that anger is supposed to tell me something. You see, anger at its best, what the emotion is trying to tell us is that something is broken and it needs to be restored. So anger at its best, I would say it like this. It communicates a protective love for what God loves. Listen, something, maybe you were deceived. Maybe you were cheated. Maybe you were taken advantage of. Maybe you were abandoned. Maybe you were just, you didn't get something. But whatever it is, like in its purest form, it is communicating a love for what God loves. God is an honest God. He's a just God. He's a fair God. And so when I get taken advantage of, that makes God angry. And so the emotion in and of itself isn't bad. At its best, it communicates a love for what God loves. At its best, anger is trying to push us to restoration. Does that make sense? And that's, that's what Paul is trying to tell us here in Ephesians. He's saying, in the new way, in your new self, your anger is supposed to lead to restoration. Now, let's talk about the other way, come on somebody. The flesh, our way. What's our way? Anger at its worst conveys an unadulterated self-interest that is ultimately self-destructive. You see, if anger at its best seeks restoration, anger at its worst Seeks retribution. Come on, I need to see everyone write that down. Anger at its best seeks restoration. Anger at its worst in my sinful, in my fleshy state, it seeks retribution. What's retribution? Retribution says that whatever was taken from me must be restored at any cost. At any cost. But here's the issue. Paul says your old self, Ephesians 4.22, was being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So what happens is that in the process of trying to get back what was taken from me, because myself, my fleshy self, my, my, my not Jesus self, it doesn't actually know what it wants. And so it'll seek for retribution trying to get that which will not actually give it what it needs. Does that make sense? And so last week, we boiled down um, pretty much conflict in our life to a simple formula. I want to bring it back again because anger is the same way. But any anger in your life, how many of you guys are angry right now? You don't have to raise your hand. But like there's just <laughs> just someone that you're angry at. I don't claim to have the prophetic gift to know exactly how everyone is feeling or why you are the way you are, but... I know why you're angry. Pretty simple. You didn't get what you wanted. Am I right? Why, why are you angry? You didn't get what you wanted. Pretty simple. It was a relationship with the friend, and, and your friends didn't give you what you wanted. They were supposed to give you compliments. They gave you nothing, right? Relationship. It's like, well, they were supposed to do X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. What'd they do? Nada. Right? You didn't get what you wanted at work. It's like, man, I put in the work, I put in the time, I put in the effort. All I wanted was a little recognition, but now I'm angry. I'm angry. Now, I know a lot of us don't necessarily like that formula because it's like, Harrison, like, that sounds kind of petty, and I'm not petty. And, and I want you to understand, I know for some of us, the anger that we have is deep-seated, and it's not as simple as, like, I didn't take out the trash. I know maybe there's someone here today that the reason you're angry is because you were abandoned. Like literally the person that loved you that said they would love you left. And so now there's, there's just this hole that you feel. Maybe for some of us we were abused, physically, emotionally, even sexually. And so it's like I don't really like the formula, I didn't get what I wanted. so. Here's an equally true formula. A lot of times our anger is that we didn't get what we deserved. We didn't get what we deserved. Because all of those things I've described, abandonment, betrayal, abuse, no one deserves that. And so you're saying, well, Harrison, isn't my anger justified? In many cases, yes, it is but the issue isn't your anger, it's how you've been dealing with it. And the point of sinfulness is not what's happened to you, but it's how you've responded to what's happened to you. You see, one of the things about God, if you want to know about his attributes, and there are many, but he is a God of justice. And so because God is a God of justice, we as his creation created in his image, we also have an innate sense of justice within us. Talk to anyone, whether they believe in God or not, they will be a person of justice. That is one of the deepest characteristics we have as humans. And so what happens is when justice is corrupted or justice is not withheld, there is something inside of us that demands, demands a response. And that's why when it comes to the anger that we feel, one of the ways that we sin is because we don't always know how to respond. But here's what I want us to understand. This is core to understanding anger. Anger will not go away without a response. You're supposed to respond to it. Now, some of you guys are like, yep, that's why I cut those toxic people out. I know what you're thinking. (laughs) Yeah, That's why why I hit them. (laughs) I just had to respond. Anger needs a response, but it in the response (laughs) that we sin or we have the anger of Jesus, which is pure and seeks restoration. Again, Paul says in your anger, do not sin. Look at this. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And this is the one that should cause us to pause. He says, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. In this very same book, Paul's going to encourage us to put on the armor of God. And he says, Your enemy, the devil, seeks to destroy, to kill, to corrupt. You want to know the number one way that the devil comes into your heart? You're like, I thought it was from horror movies. No. (laughs) The number one way that you invite the devil in is through anger, it gives him an opening. It gives him a way into our heart. This is a whole other sermon, but did you know that you can actually love and follow Jesus and the devil can still come into you? You're like, Harrison, show me some Bible. Sup? Sure. Peter's talking one time to Jesus, follower of him. In one moment, Jesus is like, Yeah, you're Peter. Da, 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 da. Two seconds later, he's like, Hey, Satan, get behind me. To Peter. Just in a moment. That's just a side note, because some of you guys are like, I read my Bible, there's no devil in me. But that's why he says, Don't give them a foothold. You see, what I want us to understand is that my response to my anger determines if I'm sinning or not. My response to my anger determines determines whether I've given the devil a foothold into my life. You see, with anger, there always comes a debt. There is a debt to be paid. I want you to think about whatever the anger you're dealing with right now, there is a debt to be paid. The debt is pretty simple. It's you owe me for whatever it is I think that was taken for me. And so because there is something that we perceive must be paid back, that is why anger demands a response. Now, the thing about retribution versus restoration is that retribution is looking for the very thing that was taken to be paid back. Here's the issue. Think of your anger. Think of the thing that was taken from you. Can it actually come back? Can anyone actually pay it back? The person that betrayed you, can they actually pay it back? The person that abused you, left. can it actually be paid back? The answer is no. Listen, even if someone stole money from you, they can give you back your money, but the emotion, the toll that it took on you, you can't get that back. And so the issue with retribution is, as I need exactly what was taken from me to come back, the issue is it ain't coming back. In fact, it can't come back, and it won't come back. And so what happens is that the anger isn't satisfied, even if we get retribution, Even if I hit that person, cut that person out, cuss that person out, tell them exactly how I feel, I won't get any better. Because the debt is still outstanding. And so what happens, and I want us to really get deeper when it comes to emotion, to the emotion of anger. You may have heard this saying before. If not, I'm going to share it with you right now. What has happened with all of our anger and what we are actually feeling beneath it all is a deep, deep hurt. It's a deep hurt, and the reason we are hurt is because someone has taken something from us, and it can't be paid back. You may have heard the same before, but I'll share it with you again. Show me an angry person, and I'll show you a hurt person. Show me an angry person, I'll show you a broken person. So the question is, well why do we go to anger? It's pretty simple, because anger is less vulnerable than hurt. It's a lot easier to be angry than to admit I'm just deeply, deeply hurt. It's a lot easier to yell than it is to cry. And so for a lot of us, what anger is, anger is just our breastplate. It's our armor. It's our shield. The reason I get angry is because I don't want to let anyone in to let them know how badly I'm hurting. And, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really dig in in this series in a couple of weeks to the hurts that we experience early in life because I think they're transformative to how we are in the present. But for a lot of us, the way that we manifest our hurt is just through anger. Because that gives me a semblance of control. It gives me control. You see, the issue though, because you're like, well Harrison, whatever, like, you know, my, my my mom hurt me growing up or my business partner or my friend. Like it's just one person. I'm gonna be angry at them, cut them out, then I'll be good. Because they'll be gone. Here's the issue with the debt of anger, when it is not dealt with because you've now given the devil a foothold into your life, and really just the corrupting nature of our hearts. You owe me will very quickly turn into everyone owes me. The one person that hurt me turns into everyone hurts me. Look what Ecclesiastes seven says, this is crazy. He says, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of a fool. It's, it's a graphic word. Anger, it, 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 it's in there so deep. And Solomon, who wrote this, is a wise dude. Why does he use the word fool? Especially when, like, when it comes to anger, something might have been done to me. The reason he uses the word fool is because anger, when it is lodged into our hearts, it just imprisons us. And so we say to ourselves, I'm going to cut that person off. That'll show them. All we're doing is imprisoning ourselves. All we're doing is building up walls, and we think the walls are keeping people out. All you're doing is building four walls around yourself. And everyone else gets the brunt of it. Now, again, depending on your personality type, your wall is going to look different. For the suck it up person, the walls that you build are just so high and it's not that people are going to come to you and you're going to explode. It's just that no one can penetrate those walls. They can't come in. You're impossible to get deep with. You want to stay on the surface, and the reason you stay on the surface is because you know if I go any deeper, if I let this person in, that gives them the ability to hurt me. And if I trust them, like, man, they can, they can break my trust again. If I love them, they can break my heart again. And so we just we suck it up and we go deeper and deeper inside of us, but it creates a prison And that anger lodges in our hearts. And so the way in which God is calling us to live with hope, with expectation, with deep and meaningful friendships, we just cut ourselves off. For the suck it up person, or sorry, for the spit it out person, the walls that you built are are literally like, it's like Bowser's castle. It's like fire on the outside. And the reason no one can come in, it's not because you're quiet, it's because you're just angry. And and this, listen to this you're someone's best friend until they cross you. You you're super kind like surface wise because it's 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 it's, it's, it's a, a cover. But there's no deep and meaningful relationships because of that anger. It's just a front. It's a power that allows us not to let people in. And what happens is that for all of these people we no longer see the world as it is. We see the world through the lens of our hurt. We see the world through the lens of our pain. And you've met these people, we are these people. How do I know someone's angry? The very first thing that happens when I talk to them is they start talking about the past. Like I just met you, why, you like, okay, we're back in 2013, all right. It's like they left the last church, but whenever they talk at the next church, all they can talk about is the last church. It's because they're still angry. I'm on my third marriage, but I haven't healed from the pain of my first marriage. And so all the issues from my first marriage just manifest itself in the third because I haven't actually dealt with what's going on on a deep level. The devil's waiting to destroy, to corrupt, and at the very end of the day to hold us back from the life that God wants us to live. And I believe for everyone in this room, God wants us to live deep and meaningful lives with expectation, with hope, with relationships. Ultimately, how do we get there? It's not through retribution. If your first line of defense is retribution, you're never gonna get what you think you want. So what's the answer? It's to restore. How do we restore? How do I get rid of anger? How do I take out that bullet that's been in my heart? Paul says it like this. He says, get rid, throw it out of bitterness, of rage, Anger, brawling, slander. These are all like anger's cousins, right? (laughs) Along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Listen, I said anger will not go away without a response. The response is nothing to do with anger, brawling, bitterness, slander. None of that. The response... the hurt is one thing and one thing only you might not like this but it is what it is you must forgive you must forgive how do I get the anger out of my heart how do I tear down the walls I have to forgive Now, some of us say well Harrison if I forgive that'll just show how weak I am because then they'll never know how much they hurt me because they'll never pay for what they did to me. And for some of us, listen, there are things that have happened to you that you do not deserve, and you are right, that maybe they don't deserve to get off the hook that easy. But at the end of the day, I have a question for all of us. Do I want to be right, or do I want to be restored? Because if I'm right, listen, you wanna be right? Sure. You can be right till you die, but that anger will live in your heart and so will the devil. Or I can seek to be restored. And to restore is to say, I'm not going to live like this any longer. You see, the reason we need to be restored is because anger doesn't go away. It just gets transferred to the next person. To the next relationship, to the next job, to the next church, to the next friend group. And you can go to all these places, and guess what? You can always be right. Harris, I've been right for 35 years. <laughs> or you can be restored. Because here's the truth: the cost of restoration, it seems high in the moment to say, because there's a debt, right? to say guess what I'm letting go of the debt that seems high that seems costly it is but the cost of retribution is much higher the cost of bitterness is much higher it's much higher and so it's like well Harrison how do I forgive well he says get rid of it be kind compassionate forgive just as in Christ, God forgave you. Here's the truth, and here's the only path to forgiveness. I must understand that God forgave me. God forgave me. You wanna know one thing I know for certain? For those of you that in your conflict you are right, in the grand scheme of things, you were wrong. You fell short. You didn't do enough. But the Bible says that Jesus on the cross, he took the debt that was paid for me and he forgave. On the cross, the last thing that he says, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. There's a saying, it's hurt people, hurt people. You and I are all hurt people. And so what that means is as we interact with each other, you want to know what's going to happen? Hurt people are going to hurt people. And so what if instead of saying and thinking the worst to people, what if we begin to have the mind of Christ, who says on the cross with, their dying, with his dying breath, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What if the person that hurt you had no clue that they hurt you? What if they had no, new, no idea the consequences of that decision? And what if instead of holding on to all of these things, what if instead we began to act like Jesus and say, I'm going to forgive because Jesus forgave me? You see, when it comes to forgiveness, we follow the lead of Jesus. That's just what we do. And So maybe you wanted something more today when it comes to how to get rid of my anger. But there's one solution and one solution only. It is the constant and continual decision to say, I am going to cancel the debt. Whatever it is you took from me. Maybe you took my trust. Maybe you took my peace. Maybe you took my security. Maybe you took my purity. Whatever it may be, I'm canceling the debt, and I'm doing it because Jesus canceled mine. Thank you for listening to the message. We hope it blessed you and that you're encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.